A couple months ago, my best friend Bryce moved away to a town I'd never heard of before. He had just landed his dream job. It was gutting, to say the least, but worse than that, he practically ghosted me after he left. I sent a few texts here and there, even rang him a few times, but heard nothing in return. Having been close friends since we were kids, the experience was jarring and definitely shook my trust and friendship as a concept. Thankfully, he recently sent me a text message, apologizing for the radio silence and claiming that moving and starting a new position had taken over his headspace. He told me I should visit him in his new haunt, and I enthusiastically accepted. We carved out a week that worked for both of us, and the plan was set. Armed with a backlog of Spotify playlists to keep me company, I plugged the address he provided into my GPS and went on my way. It ended up being a lengthy and confusing drive through roads unfamiliar. Finally arrived in his neighborhood. I took in the scenery. This new neck of the woods was bizarre to say the least. On the same street housing tacky-looking detached homes stood gothic-looking manors straight out of a Victorian novel. Way too many convenience stores here for such a small community. And did I mention the town center? Well, wouldn't you have it. It was a collection of skyscrapers piercing through the clouds that looked sleeker than anything I'd ever seen before in my city girl life. The town planner clearly had a fragmented personality. I pulled into the driveway of Bryce's fancy cottage. Really, Bryce? A cottage? Ran up the steps and rapped on the door. He peeked out through his living room curtains and ever the goofball I knew and loved shot me a puzzled look for minutes before he finally opened the door. I flung into him and gave my brother Bear a big hug. Dude seemed tensed. Friend! I exclaimed. Rose, you're here, he replied. Of course, dude. You made us plan the trip down to the hour. You have gotten mad organized since we last spoke. I settled into the coziest couch I could find in his living room and let the snug air of his new place flood my senses. It was blissful. I had to admire what he'd done with the place. It felt like the culmination of years of settling in, not some place he had just signed a lease for. Well, I started. Clearly you've struck it big with the new gig. All that's left for you now is finding a girlfriend so that you can do all that build-a-family nonsense everyone's always yapping about. Yeah, uh, hey, let me get you some coffee, all right? He walked into the kitchen. Hmm, more curt than I remember him ever being. I wondered if the girlfriend comment threw him off. It was just a joke, friend. He returned moments later, coffees in hand. He handed me one of the mugs, then sat opposite me on another sofa. So, I gotta say, this area, town, little city? Google wasn't helpful. This neighborhood is pretty quaint. He looked out the window. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I waited for him to break his stare. He wasn't being particularly hostly. I interrupted with some more small talk. Well, how are you settling in? How's life? He leaned back in his seat and scratched the back of his head. Yeah, I'm settling in fine. It's been busy. Definitely spend most of my time thinking about work. Yeah, tell me more about that. You were pretty tight-lipped about it on text. Is the job everything you hoped it'd be? Not exactly. I poker face through the uncomfortable silence, hoping he'd say more. Like, he finally continued, it's definitely not what I studied. Nothing at all like what they pitched me either. It's pretty out there. Well, what are you doing exactly? He hesitated. 
I could tell he was escaping up into his head. Uh, I think my coffee needs a bit more cream. BRB. He left the room again. Yes, he's the kind of guy to say the acronym out loud. I pondered in his absence. Dude was a secret super genius who could land a gig just about anywhere. A job that required him to move to the middle of nowhere and leave his loved ones behind had to be nothing short of astounding. But hearing him now, he just seemed tired. Uninspired, even. I wondered how long this move was really going to last. I stopped myself from ruminating further. This was too much honest reflection for what was supposed to be a vacation. A selfie was in order. I pulled out my phone, coffee in hand and Bryce's welcoming abode in the background. I already had the caption for the Instagram story. Finally found him, you guys. I waited for him to round the corner. He emerged. I clicked. Snap. The light flashed to immortalize a pretty derpy-looking me and Bryce. Mug caught in mid-fall, with his arm outstretched violently screaming no. Paralyzed by his yell, I turned to clock the shattered mug and liquid coffee beans spilling onto his hardwood floor. Crap. I looked up at him. Sorry. What happened? Did I just... His attention turned from me to the front door. He ran to it, checked the lock, then pulled at the door out as if to test its integrity. He did the same with the balcony door, muttering to himself along the way. I'm so stupid. Of course she was going to take a picture. Why would I be so careless? I should have known. I should have known. Hey, I walked up to him. It was just a selfie, Bri. I'm sorry if I caught you off guard. He took a deep breath, then spoke in a tone that was very unbecoming of the Bryce I knew. It's my fault. I'm the moron. You always take pictures. It's what you do. And what did I do? I left you alone. Twice. I screwed us. Sorry, but you're being incredibly rude right now. Explain yourself. A stern look. We're not supposed to take photos. I raised my eyebrows. Not supposed to take photos? Of what? Your house? Anything. Anything at all in the town. I became convinced this was all an elaborate bit he'd been playing in anticipation of my arrival. I chuckled accordingly. That sounds stupid. A touch of softness returned to his eyes. I was hoping I'd get a chance to ease you into the explanation. But screw it. There's no easy way to break this to you, is there? What on earth are you talking about? His glance returned to the living room window. He stared out for what felt like an eternity. I idled with him, secretly wondering if my friend had become a headcase since I last saw him. He'd never shown signs of being particularly paranoid or volatile, but maybe something had changed since the move. The sound of soft tapping against the window wasn't immediately obvious. When I finally noticed it, I saw a silhouette in the front yard below. Someone, or rather something, was outside, stretching and reaching to try to peer into our elevated living room window. Hide behind the sofa, said Bryce. Are you for real? Do it. Now. The desperation in his voice was convincing. I begrudgingly followed the orders and crouched against the end of the sofa I was just sitting on. I peeked ever so slightly to watch Bryce approach the window. There's nothing here for you, Bryce yelled at the stranger in the front yard. A beat of silence. The figure outside slowly lifted its hands, clutching a crumpled piece of paper between them, which it then pressed against the window. It was the selfie I had just taken. Instinctively, I laughed. It took a few seconds for logic to flood my brain and for me to wonder how on earth the stranger had a printout of a photo I just took. 
That isn't ours. No photos were taken here. The photo disappeared from view. Then the entity raised a single finger, tapping the window and pointing in my direction. No one else is here. Bryce held his ground for a moment. Then he closed the curtains. He sat beside me on the living room floor and placed a gentle hand on my shoulder. I was in denial. How is that even... Shh, Bryce interrupted. He'll be gone soon. Minutes passed, and the tapping finally subsided. Like I said, Bryce broke the silence. I was hoping we'd get a second to settle in first. How does someone even do that? Like, technologically, how the hell could someone do that with my phone? I don't get it. I'm going to need you to calm down for a second. Bryce, what the hell is going on? With a grimace and a restless shuffle, he struggled to find the right words. So, he finally spoke. Let's rewind a bit. I moved to a new town for a job that I couldn't turn down. Right? When I got here, I knew pretty much immediately that something was very wrong. First, I thought I was renting this place, but when I arrived, there was a deed taped to the front door signed in my name. My boss for the job I hadn't even started yet stopped by after congratulating me on the role in the new place. He told me my pay was going to be much higher than initially discussed, but that the scope of the role would also be way different. I asked him to explain what he meant, and he just said that I'd figure it out over time. He was insistent that if I did whatever he asked in a timely manner, that I'd live a safe and fulfilling life. And so for some strange reason, you then thought it'd be a great idea to text me to come here? No, 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 no. I never texted you. I never texted anyone. I ignored everyone's calls, messages, everything. I didn't want anyone to get sucked up in this nonsense with me, but I guess it didn't matter anyways. Something reached out to you, pretending to be me, which means that something wants you here. I tensed up. So, I mean, we should get the hell out of here then, right? Why didn't you ever leave? Well, <laughs> funny enough, I almost did, but then someone explained the ambulances to me. Ambulances? Yeah, they should be here soon. Bryce put a finger to his lips. The room went quiet for minutes until the distant roars of an ambulance reached our ears. Bryce got up and moved to the kitchen window. I followed. The siren's blare grew louder and clearer. Outside the window, we could see it approaching. It turned a corner and parked on the road only a few houses away. Then I saw it. The back door of the ambulance opened up and out stepped a man cloaked in thick garb from head to toe. He pulled a stretcher out the back door, then another, then another. All of the stretchers had people on them, people whose heads had been completely pulverized, clumps of crimson red flesh and cartilage where faces should have been. Once all of the stretchers had been pulled out and left on the road, the cloaked man re-entered the ambulance from the back then closed the doors. The siren blasted again and the vehicle drove off. Uh, Bry? What the heck? What the actual hell? I am freaking out! Bryce just stared at the stretchers on the street. They were gently rolling off in different directions. Ah, oh, man, he said, noticing a particular demolished body on one of the stretchers. I like that guy. We went grocery shopping together one time. Who are those people? People who tried to leave. That's what happens to them. And they're just left on the street? Sometimes. Other times, they're brought to the incinerator or buried or chopped up or occasionally dropped off at someone's house. 
I was on the verge of a full-blown panic attack. Instinctively, I pulled out my phone and queued up the numbers 911. Wait, wait, Rose, you don't want to do that. Rose, stop. His words bounced right off of me. My brain was on autopilot. My body was moving on its own now. I ran into one of the rooms, slammed the doors shut, and then leaned against it. He knocked violently. Rose, you don't know what you're doing. Please, hang up. Please. Everything was fine. I had a half-baked plan in mind. I would call the number, then ask the operator to transfer me to a different county. The NYPD, they'd know what to do. I hit call and waited for an answer. Finally. 911, what's your emergency? Hi, I replied. I need to get connected to the closest police department outside this jurisdiction. Uh, maybe New York's? Sure. Can you let me know what your emergency is? Bryce pounded with even more force. Yes, so there was an ambulance. It uh, stopped on our street. It had bodies in it. Dead bodies on stretchers that looked like they'd been completely messed up. And then the bodies were just thrown on the street and... Right, and sorry, these were people who were trying to leave town? What? I'm sorry, could you say that again? Yes. Were the bodies in the stretchers people who tried to leave the area? She said the last six words slowly, as if she thought I was stupid. Stunned, I tried to redirect her back to the point. There was also a man, a man who showed up in our yard. He, he had a picture of me. There's no way he could have had a picture of... Right. And sorry. Did you take a photo before this man showed up? I... I, uh... What? Bryce was seemingly ramming the door with his whole body now. I was struggling to keep it closed. Where are you now? We can send someone to you immediately. I, uh, no thanks. Are you sure, ma'am? I promise it'll be fun. Horrified, I hung up. I released my hold on the door and it burst open, sending me tumbling backwards onto the floor. Bryce entered, looming above me in anger. You didn't tell them where we were, did you? I desperately shook my head. No, no, I didn't. He sighed in relief, as if his whole body were exhaling with him. Thank God. He addressed me with disappointed dad intensity. You have to stop doing that, please. If they called someone to this place, you could have gotten us killed, or even worse. I've heard stories, man. The people in this neighborhood, they talk. I stopped myself from speculating on what worse meant. Where the hell are we, Bry? I asked. What the hell is this? I don't know. He wore exasperation on his face. I could tell he was at his own breaking point. I got up and gave him a hug, more for my sanity than anything else. As I held him, the sinking, skin-crawling sensation of feeling trapped consumed me. I wanted to sob, but I just couldn't. We returned to the living room and tried our best to settle in again. I'm trying, he said, to piece together exactly what's going on here. I have some idea of the things we should avoid doing, but still, there are lots of question marks. Uh-huh, I said nervously. I took a quick peek outside a spotted sign. Shaped like an arrow pointing to the left, it read, Exit this way, with a smiley face. Before I could ask more questions, I heard his phone vibrate. He checked it, then sighed. They have another job for me, he said. Another job? Yeah. A task I was hoping I could avoid for some time. Wish me luck. He went back to his room. When he emerged, he was wearing a cloak not too dissimilar to the one the ambulance driver was wearing. He left some time ago now. 
he gave me some clear directives before stepping out. Keep the doors locked until he's back, and try not to panic. I'll try not to overthink the second one. He also showed me a special hand signal that he'd use when he comes back. He told me that I should, under no circumstances, open the door until he flashes the gesture. It's a good thing he told me, because only an hour after he left, it felt like he had already returned. He's standing at the door now, softly knocking while wearing a wide smile on his face. He hasn't flashed the signal yet, so I'll probably hold on letting him in. Imposter Bryce, as I've penned him, stuck around for a couple of hours before shuffling off to God knows where. Once he was gone, I took refuge in the bedroom that looked the least worn and tried my best to get some shut-eye. Needless to say, I slept like the opposite of a baby. Ambulance sirens sung throughout the night. Occasional sounds of shuffling in the backyard bushes rang in my ear. Struggling to fall asleep, I got up to look out the bedroom window. Outside, the street was empty, save for a man a block away hugging a lamppost and looking right up at me. Hell. The night, and my attempts to rest, became a blurry, half-awake, half-asleep haze. Eventually, the sound of knocking at the front door interrupted my drowsy nap. I left the bedroom, approached the sound and looked through the door's peephole, expecting some horrifying sight or nightmarish creature. It was Bryce. He was flashing the same hand signal we'd agreed upon earlier. After a minute of gearing up, I accessed the bravery needed to open the door. He entered, and to my great relief, didn't shapeshift into a warlock and rip my face off. Cool of him. He didn't say much, not even a hello. His face wore misery, and his weird, culty, snuggy outfit had splatters of blood on it. He depressingly sauntered to his room, mumbling incoherently under his breath. Huh. Weirdly, having him home now was enough to temporarily override the PTSD I was feeling from the last 24 hours of mind-bending situations. I went back to the room, and within minutes, I was lights out. When I woke up, I felt like I'd emerged from the best sleep I'd ever had, to the point that it took me a good 20 seconds to remember exactly where I was, and for the misery to creep in. I looked at the clock and saw that the time was only 7.15am. I was flabbergasted. No way that was only an hour of sleep. I entered the dining room. Bryce was already breakfast ready. Plates were set out on the table. Does time work differently here? I asked, taking a seat. Bryce sized up my outfit. I was still wearing my clothes from yesterday. I should have remembered to lend you some PJs. My bad. I grabbed a forkful of scrambled eggs. I was hoping he'd start curbing his habit of avoiding my questions. I took a bite. Not bad. Time, he ruminated. Not sure. There's enough weird stuff happening here that I don't really dwell on it. Fair enough, I said. So... I was instructed to bring you with me to today's job. I almost spat egg all over the table. Bring me? Me? Explicitly? Yep. He turned his phone around and leaned across the table to show me. Well, I'll be. There it was. Wrapped in a gray bubble. The most recent text in a thread. This morning, you will visit the Parker Group building and audit their operations. Bring Rosalind Beckett with you. I sighed. I assume I have to come because not following the rules here is a bad idea. He shot me ungracefully with his finger guns. You're catching on, friendo. I decided not to protest. 
After yesterday's shenanigans, it was probably best I followed Bryce's lead. We promptly finished up breakfast, and Bryce basically made a beeline to his car in the driveway after. Dude took his job seriously. I joined him outside, half afraid that a banshee would jump out of the bushes or something. But things were relatively tame, actually. The only thing out of the ordinary was a gathering place in the Victorian mansion across the street from us. Through their window, I noticed a gallery of well-dressed socialites all sitting in a circle and reading a book together. A book club. At this hour? I rode shotgun in Bryce's Audi. When the frig did he get an Audi? As he drove us to the skyscrapers in the town center. So, what's the escape plan? I asked. I've always been particularly crappy at small talk. I'm sorry? I'm assuming everyone in this town is trying to get the hell out of Dodge. What's the strategy? Friendly reminder that your head gets pulverized if you try to escape, Rose. Or did you already forget about yesterday? Yeah, yeah, but isn't anyone theorycrafting, figuring out some way to break from this hellscape? Huh. I think we're all still in the learning how not to die phase of things, he replied. Disappointing. Is it only going to take me a few days to become just as resigned to things as Bryce is? I distracted myself from the melancholy by carefully eyeing the buildings we drove past. Library, convenience store, sex shop, convenience store, auto parts, steakhouse, steakhouse, convenience store. This place is weird. So, I said, you ever been to this building before? Nope. Mm-hmm. And what about auditing? Is that a thing you do regularly? First time. But you know what to do, right? Yeah. I was given clear instructions. Go inside, tell them why we're visiting, let them explain what they do, let them take us where they need to take us. If anyone has any concerns, we say that we're friends of Meredith Lane. Right, and who is Meredith Lane? No clue, he said. Oh, right. Another rule? Avoid small talk with the employees. We closed in on the high-rises. Rice slowed to find parking. We stepped out of the car, the looming building up ahead. We walked under the protective canopy as stone pillars framed our path. I noticed groups of people lurking behind the columns, peeking their heads out, most glaring, some smiling. Bryce, I'm kind of scared. Don't worry about them. They won't do anything. Okay. We reached the entrance. The motion sensor sliding doors parted gracefully, inviting us in. We crossed into the lobby. A very sharp-dressed greeter approached us. Why, hello there, sir. And look, you brought company. Here for an audit, Bryce said briskly. Yes, of course, the folks up on Nine were expecting you. Great, we'll be on our way. Bryce, all business, walked to the elevator and pressed the button to call. He stared at a framed picture hung on the wall between the lifts. It was a portrait of a stunning luxury car. God, that is a sweet ride, he said. Ding! The elevator arrived. We slipped into the steel box, and Bryce pressed the button for the ninth floor. As it went up, I mean, this isn't too bad. You always wanted to work in a fancy tech office, right? I asked. Yeah, I guess I did. Just took getting trapped in this freaky town for that dream to pan out, huh? I laughed. A little glimmer of our buddy-cop dynamic was back, albeit under non-ideal circumstances. He pulled out his phone seemingly to check the text thread he had with his boss. All right, so recap on the rules, 
If anyone asks, friends of Meredith Lane. Meredith Lane, I echoed. We'll explore, ask the folks what they do, go wherever they ask us to, we'll take notes. We won't make small talk with them. Pretty simple. Got it, I nodded. The lift trembled momentarily as it settled onto the ninth floor. Then the doors opened. We emerged onto a floor that had pretty tacky-looking decor, I have to say. It looked dated, unbecoming of the prestigious-looking building it was housed in. We sauntered down the hallway, flanked by boardrooms on both sides. It sounded like busy meetings were underway. Bryce entered one of the rooms, seemingly at random. I trailed behind. Inside, a group of gentlemen, all dressed in pristine white shirts, black ties, and sharp-dressed pants, sat around an aged mahogany table. Looks like they all got the dress memo for today. They momentarily paused their discussion, looking up at us with puzzled stares. Here for the audit, Bryce announced curtly. Carry on. Bryce produced a small notebook and pen out of his coat pocket and began jotting down notes. The professionals hesitated briefly before resuming their conversation. So, as I was saying, one of the men said, We've finished the design for the next convenience store. Murmured nods and hmms echoed around the table. We need a clear, open road leading to the convenience store, another contributed. No congestion whatsoever. I'll oversee that. Again, a chorus of agreement from the room. And what about blood? Another man interjected. Heads turned in his direction. If there's a significant amount of blood outside the convenience store, he seemingly clarified. We'll need assistance to manage it. The pattern continued. Murmurs of affirmation shared between the employees. I had to ask myself, what in the hell were they talking about? Yet my confusion went unshared. Bryce continued to scribble in his notebook, unfazed. I wondered if Bryce noticed the man seated at the end of the table, blood pouring from his eyes onto his fancy shirt. The man with a disturbing smile, who kept whispering incessantly, Blood outside the convenience store. Blood inside the convenience store. Thankfully, or maybe regrettably, Bryce seemed oblivious to him. Finishing his note-taking, he left the room, and I followed. We proceeded down the hallway. Seriously, how the hell does this place not wig you out? That's simple, he replied. I'm desensitized. I am now fully dead inside. Great. We approached the kitchen at the end of the corridor. As we did, the clack of a foosball game filled our ears. We stepped inside to see two players, momentarily distracted stopping to turn their gaze towards us. Nearby, a man pouring half and half into his coffee froze as he clocked our entrance. You're... you're... he started. Here for an audit, Bryce cut in. Their eyes remained fixed on us, silent and questioning. We're friends of Meredith Lane, Bryce clarified. Slowly, the strangers chuckled, their laughter gradually escalating into a roar. Yeah, right. Friends with Meredith Lane, said one. Yeah, you hate her, chimed another. You despise her. The man with the coffee creamer tagged. What are they on about? I whispered out the side of my mouth to Bryce. Don't overthink it. Nothing here makes any sense, he murmured. He stepped forward. All right, that's enough joking around. Why don't you all tell me a bit about what you do? After a brief silence, the coffee man was the first to speak. I'm a firefighter, sir. A firefighter working in a skyscraper. Right. 
The woman at the foosball table spoke next. I'm an ambulance driver. She noticed the look of fright on my face and clarified. Don't worry, dear. I only drive. A wry smile crept up on the face of the man on the other side of the foosball table. I'm a police officer. Occasionally a 911 operator, too. I gulped and tried my best to play it cool. I looked away, pretending I was admiring the decor in the room. Bryce, in doing his part, eagerly scribbled into his notebook. He lifted his head when he was done. Great. Anything you'd like to show us? The foosball player officer crept closer. Friends with Meredith Lane, hey? Yep, replied Bryce. Would you like to see her? Sure. The officer led the way, opening a door to reveal another expanse of hallway. We trailed closely behind. The trek was longer than I expected. With each step, the white walls of the building started blistering and peeling. Deeper down the path, the overhead lights were now swaying and broken, casting red shadows onto the wall. Through the damp and moldy, we approached the end of this now dark corridor, reaching a heavy iron door that creaked slightly open. Blood-curdling shrieks could be heard from inside. Our guide to this destination nodded, then turned to leave. Have fun, he called out, retracing his steps and disappearing down the hall. Bryce stepped through the door first. I trepidatiously tiptoed behind. The screaming stopped the second we entered. The smell of coal and old machinery assaulted my senses, as I eyed what I knew to be the likely source of the screams. It was a woman. She was tied to a chair with metal chains. Her body looked contorted, twisted, bloodied, broken in ways that a person couldn't be, bones visibly protruding from open wounds all around her. Jagged metal jutted from her chest, neck, and legs. Something about her form didn't make any sense. A man in a thick cloak was crouched beside the woman. Meredith, it looks like you have some visitors. My face betrayed my attempt to pretend any of this was normal. Side-eyeing Bryce, he didn't look so great either. The man in front of us remained focused on the chained being. What do we say when we have visitors, Meredith? A strained, croaky, empty voice left the woman. We say, hello, she gargled barely. Bryce pulled out his notebook. Here for an audit. Can you explain what you do? Really, Bryce? Still just business about all of this? The crouched man tilted his head to address us. Of course. As you can see, I manage Meredith Lane. Let me demonstrate. He placed a hand on what was left of Meredith's shoulder. Meredith, is your leg broken? No. No, no, my leg is fine, she said, spitting blood between labored breaths. Um, her leg was most certainly broken. Thrice broken, in fact. The least leg-looking leg I'd ever seen. Is your chest impaled? He asked. No, my chest is not impaled, she groaned. A giant piece of metal poked out from her ribs, but sure, let's gaslight the poor woman. Is your mouth full of blood? Are you choking? She struggled to speak again. Blood pooled as the words left her mouth. No, no. And here's the best one, he said, enthusiastically turning to us before asking his final question. Meredith, are you alive? It took her longer to respond to this one. She lifted her neck ever so slightly to look at us. Clearly she was in hell, but there was something else in her gaze too. Sorrow, wistfulness, regret. 
I'm alive, she said quite lucidly. The cloaked man stood up from his crouch, exceedingly cheerful now. Isn't that something, he proclaimed. Grice just scratched into the notebook. He didn't say a word. I, on the other hand, was mortified. I'd just about reached my threshold. I was seconds from puking. I softly stepped back, exiting the room through the iron door for a much-needed reprieve. Bryce didn't seem to notice, thank God. Back out in the hallway, I noticed a rather nervous-looking man pacing back and forth. After a moment, he came up to me. How are you holding up? he asked. I stuck to the rules. I'm here for an audit. He looked disappointed. Of course you are. Let me guess. No photos, no small talk. Friends with Meredith Lane. Huh? Nah, I wasn't falling for it. That's right. I'm friends with Meredith Lane. That's why I'm here. I enunciated clearly, speaking slowly and thoroughly as one usually does when they're lying. He scratched his head, then turned to leave. He looked back at me once more before doing so. You know, just once I wish I could talk to someone who found all this crap as horrifying as I do. I pursed my lips. Screw it, he said. I'll figure some way out of this nightmare. Talking to emotionless robots all day, he muttered, walking off. Dang. Wait, I called out. He stopped, then turned. Let's talk, I said as quietly as I could. He stepped back towards me. He came with an air of nervous desperation. Holy crap, an actual conversation? He said. Look, not sure how much time we have, but I have a working theory about this place that I think might piece everything together. Spill. He leaned into my ear and whispered. He didn't want anyone else to hear this. Sweetheart, you know you're not supposed to break the rules. He gripped my neck with one of his hands and covered my mouth with the other. We have to follow the rules. I struggled to get away, but he was much more powerful than he looked. Without them, we... We... I could feel my breath disappearing. This is how I die, isn't it? He squeezed down on my larynx with all of his might. What a stupid way to die. But then the pressure released. I gasped for breath as the attacker staggered backwards. I guess not. My assailant was recoiling in horror at the sight of... Bryce? Merging from the boiler room, Bryce quickly moved to support me, preventing me from collapsing to the floor. The man backpedaled to his feet and fled down the corridor. Bryce took a step as if to chase him, then hesitated and turned back to me. Are you okay? Bryce asked with concern. No, not really, I said coughing. I'm sorry, I'm a dunce. Bryce squeezed my hand reassuringly. You're okay. You'll settle in with time. As I gathered my bearings, I heard Bryce's phone buzz again. He checked the text. Guess our job's done for today, he said. We can go home now. I didn't let go of his hand as we walked down the corridor. How'd you scare away that dude? Hey, once you've been here long enough, you find a way to maneuver the danger. We took the elevator down. Once we were in the lobby, we made a beeline for the exit. Just as we stepped through the sliding doors on the outside, I heard the greeter call from behind. Please visit us again when you get the chance, Mr. Mayor. Bryce visibly winced at the greeter's call. Mr. Mayor? I asked him. You're the mayor of this place? He shrugged it off as we walked to the car. It's just the job they gave me. We can chat more about it later. The drive home was quiet. 
between Bryce's surprise role as mayor and his strange midnight job from last night, a swirl of confusion settled in my stomach. Still riding shotgun with him, I felt safer than I would have without him. But one thing was clear now, more than before. We couldn't stay here. I needed to find a way out for us. When we got home, Bryce asked for a few hours to de-stress before my barrage of questions. He spent most of it reading a gothic mystery novel on the sofa, as well as retreating into his room to do some private journaling. The evening settled in, and Bryce finally scuttled into my room. Mayor, huh? When were you planning to tell me that was what you did here? He threw his arms up in exasperation. Look, I... There was... He struggled. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I would ever felt comfortable mentioning it. I'm being honest. I never chose the job. They gave it to me when I got here. And since then, I've just been trying to get by. I only had one glaring question on my mind at this point. I only had one glaring question on my mind at this point. Everyone in that building said that you hated Meredith Lane? People here say stupid stuff. Literally, none of that is... Bryce, just please, please tell me you didn't order for that poor woman to get chained and tortured like that? Bryce stared at me aghast. Do you really think I'm capable of something like that? Of course, in the moment, I told him no. But as I lay there in bed that night, the question spun around in my head. Was Bryce capable of great evil? The guy I'd known my whole life? No. The guy who's been trapped in this demented town for months now? I'm not sure. This place could ruin anyone after enough time, couldn't it? I stopped myself there and turned my brain off for the sake of some shut-eye. In the morning, I checked the clock on my bedside table. 7.15am. That's twice now. I entered the dining room. Bryce had left breakfast on the table for me. Sweet of him. With it came a note. Got called in for an early job. I'm helping make candles today, whatever that means. I know it's in your DNA to be brash, but please don't do anything stupid while I'm gone. Stay home, and if for some strange reason you still decide to wander out, stay far, far, far away from the graveyard. Bad things happen the closer you get to it. I took a bite of my toast. Me? Brash? Why, I never... After finishing up the morning spread, I sauntered to the living room window and looked outside. Once again, folks were gathered inside the Victorian mansion across the street. They sat in a circle, each of them with a book in hand. This time, however, their attention was focused on a TV in the room, playing something that I couldn't quite make out from my vantage point. Someone rose to turn off the TV. Then they all looked at me in unison and smiled. What? Without missing a beat, they shifted their focus back to the books. One of the men began to read aloud while the rest followed intently. Well, one thing was for certain. I'd rather be chained up like Meredith Lane than forced to join the disturbing reading group here. I pondered what to do with my day. Surely not everything in town was preposterously dangerous. At least one of the 80 or so convenience store clerks must have had some sort of insight in how to escape. Right? Wait. Bryce wasn't home, again, and he had a journal. Did I dare? It would have been an invasion of privacy, sure, but, you know, 
desperate times, desperate measures. Sometimes you gotta break some rules, yada yada yada. I entered his room. After a bit of scanning, I located the journal that he'd stashed in one of his drawers. I flipped to the latest entry, hoping to find something interesting. At the top of the page was yesterday's date, underneath a few bullet points lazily scribbled. What was with the portrait of the car in the Parker building yesterday? Guy who attacked Rose looked familiar? Who is Meredith Lane? Why did I kind of like seeing her get tortured? What? The third line stunned me. Felt like a bullet gone through my stomach. Suddenly, my phone vibrated sharply. A text? I pulled my phone out and read the first new message I'd received since I'd arrived here. From a number I didn't recognize, it simply read, Be outside in one minute. Your job for the day is ten bodies. You've got to be kidding me. Was this a test? Was I supposed to ignore it? Or was this a task I had to follow? Does this town really want me to kill people? A knock at the door. Then another. And another. I stashed the journal back into the drawer, now with bigger fish to fry than figuring out Bryce's inner workings. I searched my mind for a smart thing to do here and came up empty. Rudderless, I walked to the front door's peephole and checked outside. A man in a Hawaiian shirt stood idly at the door. He looked bored. Further out, an ambulance sat parked on the street. Is he going to kill me? As if reading my mind, he spoke up. I'm going to kill you, newbie. I didn't respond. You're on the route today, he added. Could I actually trust him? He looked at his watch. Look, it's your life. Do what you gotta do. But bad things do happen when you turn down a job, so I'd strongly suggest... I swung the door open, raised my fists, and shot him my meanest glare. That should scare him. He chuckled. It's gonna take more than a punch to kill me, I'm afraid. He pivoted and began descending the stairs. All right, let's head out. I followed him. He casually paced towards the ambulance's rear doors, opened them and stepped inside. I peeked in behind him, anticipating the horrifying sight of piles and piles of dead bodies. Instead, the ambulance looked surprisingly ordinary. To the left, a white bench stretched along the wall. A rather striking woman was seated, dressed in a cloak that was all too familiar to me at this point. The Hawaiian-shirted man settled in beside her. On the opposite side, a pile of single-fold stretchers were haphazardly arranged against the wall, dominating the center. A modest table was firmly anchored to the floor. Atop it sat an eye-catching candle and a worn black digital camera. I climbed into the back. Without missing a beat, the mystery man slipped on a cloak similar to the woman's and handed me another just like it. Your uniform for when you're on the job, he clarified. He shut the back doors, struck a match to light the candle, and moments later, the vehicle set into motion. I begrudgingly put on the bulky cult outfit. Guess I'm part of the club now. Unsure of what to do next, I ran with an icebreaker. So, is our job, I said slowly, to, uh, bash people's heads in or something? The man and the woman looked at each other, eyebrows raised and shared bemusement. They started laughing. Oh, you newcomers, the man said, wiping away a tear. So good. Yes, the woman tagged. We use terrifying black magic rituals to punish all those who try to leave. And sometimes, when the black magic doesn't work, we resort to the ancient art of stick-throwing. She nodded. Never underestimate a well-aimed twig. Dorky giggles permeated their sarcastic ribbing. 
It was annoying. Look, you two clearly are having a ball right now. But can you just say it plainly? You don't kill people, right? Right, the woman responded more seriously. Some of us just want to get through the cursed day and go home. Fair enough, lady. It was an interesting ambulance ride. I learned their names, Matthias and Svetlana. They were a couple, actually. I'm ashamed that I only caught on once I saw them sneak a kiss. They spent most of the ride doing some pretty nonsensical stuff. With a deck of cards, they played a demented version of Go Fish that I couldn't fully understand the rules. Later, Matthias broke into song, belting what sounded like three vaguely familiar pop tunes randomly mashed together. Svetlana knew it and sang along, which, I guess, is what mattered. Finally, Svetlana pitched a game where we would all ask each other increasingly personal questions. I bowed out, using the excuse that I was still jarred by the no small talk rule in the Parker group building. The two of them passed questions back and forth. What's the funniest thing that ever happened to you? When was the last time you felt super embarrassed? And then rather innocently, from Svetlana to Matthias, what was the happiest moment of your life? He looked back at her wistfully. The day I met you. She held her hand to his cheek, and they shared a genuinely loving gaze. Barf, 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 barf. Too much. Please make it stop. The ambulance screeched to a halt. The driver called out. All right, body retrieval. Let's go. The colleagues shifted to a more somber tone. They opened the rear exit and stepped out. I followed. We had stopped at a house. There, on the grass before us, a man lay dead. A camera in his hand, his twisted neck, contorted body, and protruding bones gave me flashbacks to Meredith. Two police officers stood over him. They regarded us as we walked up. Took a photo of himself. Sucker's way out, one said. The other officer chimed in. You gotta question the logic. Did he think this would somehow be a shorter death? The first mimed, taking a photo, voice high-pitched in imitation. He was probably like, ah, this will be painless. Ha <laughs> click, ding, wait, why am I not dead? Wait, what's that? Ah! Matthias pulled a stretcher from the ambulance, setting it next to the lifeless figure while the officers laughed. Together, he and Svetlana softly lifted the body onto it. What the hell? Why are all of you so damn glum? One of the officers said. He turned to me. You. You especially. Svetlana and Matthias lifted the stretcher and brought it into the ambulance. The officers closed their distance with me. You're pretty tense, the second officer remarked. Maybe living with the mayor is starting to take a toll on you? Matthias called from the ambulance. All right, let's go, Rose. But I couldn't move. The collective stare of the officers had me petrified. The first officer leaned in closer. I'm sure you know the mayor is terrified of cops, don't you? He has a whole page about it in the diary of his you snooped this morning. How could they possibly know? What? Do you not realize we see everything? Do you actually think your rule-breaking is going unnoticed? I backed away from them as if they were two lurking panthers. No sudden movements. Calm. Deliberate. Any misstep could spell doom. Gently, I felt for the edge of the ambulance before hoisting myself through the rear doors. I closed them behind me. Mercifully, the ambulance rolled forward. I settled into my seat. As the fear subsided involuntarily, my eyes swelled up. 
Matthias placed a hand on my shoulder. Svetlana gently touched my arm. Don't worry about those creeps, said Matthias. Those guys won't do anything to you, she added. They're just talk. I appreciated the gesture. Unfortunately, it was hard to feel great with the grim sight of a mangled corpse in front of us. Matthias shook his head at the sight. Even with how hellish all of this is, I'll never understand doing something like that to yourself. Svetlana gazed at the stretcher, her eyes full of compassion. Perhaps he just wasn't strong enough to handle it anymore. Matthias shrugged. Despite some weak attempts at small talk from all three of us, it was hard to shake the dismal air now permeating the ambulance. The ride went on for a good while, until... Destination, the driver called. The vehicle jolted to a stop. Svetlana pushed the doors open, revealing a vast, forest expanse. The trees, though large, were spread out and sparse. In the distance, I spotted a thick white fog that seemingly stretched out into eternity. Were we at the edge of town? And one by one, we exited the ambulance, our steps crunching on the leaves underneath. The rear doors had been left ajar. Okay, I started. So what do we... I was interrupted by the click of a camera. I shuddered. Svetlana held me still as the sound of another click went off, then another. What's happening? Don't worry, she soothed. We only have to collect the bodies. I realized that each echo of a click was accompanied with a piercing flash contained within the smothering mist ahead of us. What was this? A gentleman, I barely had time to notice, stepped out from behind a nearby tree and paced toward the fog. He muttered under his breath, It'll be okay. It'll all be okay. Just a quick snap. I won't even feel it. Then I'll be free. He crossed the threshold into the fog and ventured deeper, becoming more of a faint trace with each step. In my peripheral, I noticed another woman, in tattered clothes, step across the forest and into the shrouding haze. Her mumbles barely reached my ears. I believe in the walking fire, the holy serpent, the tree of life will perish for our salvation. And she went. From behind us, another man triumphantly jogged past, straight into the mist. He shouted out as he did. It's a mirage. There's nothing real keeping us here. Deeper he went, until he was just a speck in the white veil. Everything was a lie. Click, click, click. Each click was accompanied with the sound of a harsh pop and a powerful flash within the fog. The sound of bodies dropping. And then, as if they were the tide coming in, the bodies softly and effortlessly slid right out of the fog, right in front of us now. Bodies with pulverized heads, like all the others I'd seen the ambulance drop off. I tried to process what I was seeing. Matthias, meanwhile, was all business. He pulled small stretchers out of the ambulance and began positioning them next to the bodies, sighing all the while. Quota was ten, so this should be pretty quick, he said. I scanned the environment closely. Far off, more lifeless forms lay scattered. The clicks continued, lights flashing, bodies floating out of the fog. There were already way more than ten dead here. Behind us, groups of people lurked behind trees, staring out into the abyss. Were these folks who were contemplating escaping too? Svetlana addressed Matthias briefly. I think our newbie is scared, so I'm going to comfort her. He nodded as she led me aside. I'm not scared, I started, but she shushed me. I love you, she called out to Matthias. Love you too, 
he responded, a tad absently distracted by his work. What a pro. She pulled me away from the scene to a looming tree beside the fog. What is it? I asked her. She pulled something out of her pocket and placed it in my hand. It was a sketch, a pencil drawing of Matthias. It was pretty good. I drew it for him one random night. I'm very grateful that sketches aren't illegal. A quiet laugh followed her words. I shot her a confused look. She smiled. Please give it to him, okay? Uh, sure, I said. Why? She took a deep breath, then turned around and disappeared into the fog. Wait, what are you? Click. She was close enough that I saw the flash cave in her head. Before she'd even hit the ground, her corpse was pulled out of the fog and brought to my feet. No. No, 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 no. In disbelief, I wandered back to Matthias. He was in the midst of loading another body into the already full-looking ambulance. Finally deciding to help, eh? He said, presumably hearing my steps. I couldn't say anything. He turned around in response to my silence. Why are you crying? I'd clearly forgotten how to talk. He walked up to me, his gaze lowering to the item in my hand. I passed it to him. A confused smile crossed his face. He lifted his head to peer over me. His eyes found Svetlana's body in the distance. He exhaled sharply. After a minute of stillness, he approached what was left of her. I placed my hand on his back and accompanied. Walking that small distance felt like a lifetime. Finally, she was in front of us. Matthias looked down at her lovingly. She never isn't beautiful. The best I could muster up in response was a platitude. She really loved you, you know. He scrunched up a smile. And I, her. He stood. He put the sketch into his cloak pocket, then lovingly tapped it after placing. So, the good news is, I've already loaded eight. I pray that Svetlana and I won't be too heavy, he said. And then, with a brisk pace, he walked into the fog. No. I chased behind him, crossing into the mist. I reached out to pull out his cloak. Please, please stop. Just, just wait a second. There has to be something you can do. There has to be something. I'm not even sure if he could hear me. Deeper still he went. Deeper still I followed. My words didn't even make any sense. What am I doing? This is insane. I extended out with all my might to pull him back. Please, you can't just give up. Click. And he was gone. And his blood flickered onto me. I realized I was going to be next. There I was yet again, staring death in the face, whilst feeling nothing but confusion. With a violent yank, I felt something pull me out of the fog. Suddenly, the cloud of white was in front of me. I wasn't within it anymore. I turned around to see who or what might have pulled me to safety, but it was already gone. I could have sworn I heard a whisper as the force brought me out. The words, you should be enjoying your gift. I cried in fear, in hell, and all things awful as Matthias's body appeared beside me. In the hour it took to get up and finish the shift, I wondered what the hell kind of gift this was supposed to be. It wasn't fair. Neither of them deserved this. So I did the only thing that felt right. When the text came, telling me to drop the bodies in the middle of the street, any street is fine. I refused. They deserved a proper resting place, 
and so I told the ambulance driver that the instructions were to take all ten to the graveyard. He seemed surprised, but he obliged anyway. It wasn't until halfway through burying the bodies that I remembered Bryce's warning about the graveyard. Though, to be honest, nothing out of the ordinary happened. Yes, amongst a sea of hundreds of pre-dug graves and tombstones marked by the names of strangers, it was a bit weird to see mine and Bryce's name among the bunch. But besides that, it was pretty tame. The ambulance driver brought me back home. He didn't seem too stressed about the two crew deaths today. His logic was, it's unfortunate, but that's the way things go. When I pressed him on what he meant, he said, there's an, a certain decency to letting things go. A decency in allowing death to be death and not fighting it. And not being the kind of person who tampers with that reality. Okay, Freud. When I got home, I remembered Bryce's unnerving journal entry and tried to muster up the sanity to finally start being afraid of him. But I just couldn't. He's harmless. I know he is. Though I will say, he's acting pretty weird right now. He's staring out the living room window at the Victorian mansion across the street. He's holding one of his mystery novels in his hand. He keeps saying, I get it now, I get it now, I get it now. And he's starting to look a bit frenzied. I'll ask him what's going on once he calms down a bit. I went to bed shortly after getting home. Bryce and I didn't say much to each other. He was in his own little world, rambling to himself. I could hear him deteriorating in the middle of the night, his whispers becoming more fevered, more intense. It was unnerving. I woke up at 7.15am. Of course I did. I left my room, not sure what to expect this time. I entered the living room to catch Bryce already waiting for me, sitting on the couch. Where were you yesterday? He asked. I thought carefully about my response. They texted me with a job. Ambulance duty. I'm surprised it took you until the morning to ask me. Everything okay? He sighed. They made me do that ambulance job too. Body retrieval. It was horrific. He looked at me intently. Rose, I, I've been noticing some things here. For quite some time now, actually. I'm piecing it all together, and I think... I, I think I know what's going on. Uh-huh. An awkward silence between us. This time, it was me who didn't want to talk. Why are you being weird? Feels like you're afraid of me, he said. I read your diary. You said you liked seeing Meredith Lane get tortured. I felt a familiar buzz come from my pocket when I noticed Bryce reacting to his own. We both pulled out our phones to check our respective messages. My text read, Cross the street and come inside. Instinctively, I glanced through the living room window in the Victorian mansion opposite. A man stood by the balcony, phone in hand. I turned to Bryce. What does your message say? They're telling me to stay home today. You? Guess they just want me. I swallowed nervousness. They want me to join them across the street. Bryce got up from his seat and looked outside at the opposing mansion. My boss wants you to visit? Your boss lives there? Actually, you know what? It doesn't even matter. I'm tired of trying to understand this stupid place. I turned away from Bryce, walked to the front door and opened it. I stepped outside. Rose, wait, he called. All of my rule-breaking had clearly gotten the attention of the powers that be. I was afraid, sure, but still, it was time to get this over with. I walked down the stairs and ventured onto the pavement. I heard Bryce's footsteps echoing behind me, 
He grabbed my shoulder. Hold on, let's just think this through. The folks in that mansion, my boss, the town planner, they run this place. Well, thanks for the heads up, Mr. Mayor, I replied. He whispered close to me in a panic. Look, I've only ever met my boss. For the rest, I've just heard stories. Not great stories, mind you. The town planner? Apparently she's a real monster. I turned around and faced him. Go home, Bryce. They asked for me, not you. He stood resolute. I'm coming. I shrugged. Suit yourself. I inched up the stairs to the mansion. As I did, I looked through a nearby glass-paneled wall to notice that the creeps, er, socialites, were in the middle of their book club again. A room in broad daylight filled with lit candles for some reason. I turned the unlocked knob and entered. Inside, the man who stood by the balcony greeted me with an unsettling eagerness. Rose, he said. You know my name? I replied. Of course you do. You've become quite the celebrity with your rule-breaking, he replied. His gaze lifted to Bryce. I'm afraid you weren't included in the invitation. Bryce folded his arms. Well, sorry, boss, but I'm coming in too. Is that so? The man replied. The man, Bryce's apparent boss, made way for me to enter, so I took it. He blocked Bryce's way, however, and the two of them exchanged increasingly heated words. I'd already tuned them out. I continued onwards, deeper into the mansion. I followed the voice echoing through the halls, the sound of the book club reader paired with the rustle of flipping pages. Let us begin, as we always do, with a recounting of the birth of this lovely town. I stepped closer until the doorframe revealed a group sitting in a circle of chairs inside. The speaker, open book in hand, continued reading. It's a story that starts with tragedy. The fateful morning when Meredith Lane ran a red light and crashed into Bryce, killing him instantly. Right. Great book club. What sort of gibberish were they going to say next? The cosmic accident, spurred by something as inconsequential as Bryce's morning drive to the convenience store, gave rise to our creation. This place is obsessed with convenience stores, I tell you. I entered the room. Bryce left the mortal plane at 7.15am, with Meredith departing hours later, but their deaths were undone. Meredith and Bryce now live as the two pillars of our neighborhood. Around me, dozens of candles were scattered. They're the two halves of a ritual that keep us tethered to the real world. A table sat in the center of the reading circle. A ritual taken upon by someone brash enough to defy reality. It bore a particularly unique candle, a Polaroid camera, and a photo just out of clear view. Brave enough to challenge the truth. I walked into the center of the circle and arrived at the table. And see through the realization of the impossible. I looked at the photo. It was a picture of Bryce, demolished in the wreckage of a car, his head completely smashed in, pulverized. Wait, why did this look familiar? She still has something she wanted to say to him. She wasn't ready to let go. So she channeled her grief and attempted ritual after ritual after ritual. I looked at the woman reading the passage. Her face was veiled by a shadowy cloak. Her voice sounded familiar. Then, suddenly, the hum of a TV. One of the readers had risen as if on cue to switch it on. The book club members lifted their heads from their laps to watch. I joined them. The static on the TV settled, then grainy footage. 
On screen was a woman who looked consumed with what appeared to be grief. Why was she in my room? The woman drew a pentagram on a parchment, drawing blood from a deep cut on her palm. When she had finished the sigil's design, she lit five candles at its corners. The scene shifted. Now the woman had a bowl of dark water in front of her. She whispered into a raven's feather, then delicately dipped it into the water and stirred. Guide him back to me, she whispered. Return to me a Bryce that will never, ever leave my side. Then, through the static, a new scene. This time a Polaroid picture lay before her, with a distinctive candle flickering beside her. She was sobbing. Her fingers were smeared with blood. She held an obsidian knife and carved runes onto the picture while whispering a strange incantation. The TV flickered off. I stood petrified within the ring of seated strangers around me. What? What the hell is this? They all smiled. It's what you built, Rose. For Bryce. The cloaked woman returned her focus to the book. We're almost done with the reading. She continued with the passage. Finally, she succeeded, securing a special photo of the deceased's body in the wreckage. She sprung forth a ritual powerful enough to return him to life. But not just his body and spirit. No. Rather, his full headspace, brought to concrete reality in the form of a town, a community where the resurrected could be surrounded by all the things that make up his mind, fragmented thought forms given solid life. Wait, how could this have even... The enchantress who brought upon the ritual would be split into two. One half of her would go on forgetting this tragedy ever occurred, and would one day be called upon to enter into this constructed paradise. The other half of her, the one knowing the grief, would be born into this town to bring it life. The reader shut her book. So did the others in the circle. The echo of steps pattering into the room. I turned to the source of the noise to see Bryce's boss, the man who had greeted us, holding an unconscious Bryce in his arms. Wait, what did you do to him? I asked. The man shook his head. Fear not, I merely subdued him. The only thing that can actually kill Bryce is the graveyard. He smiled at me. Welcome, Rose, to your creation. The room broke into applause. Of course, the man continued, placing Bryce's body gently on the floor. It wasn't a singular effort. He stepped towards the woman in the cloak, the reader, and lifted the veil from her head. She looked identical to me. I'd like to introduce you to today's very special reader. Our very own town planner, he said as the clapping persisted. The architect who constructed this wonder of a community, building it using pieces of Bryce's headspace and ratifying it with rules to protect our existence. Slowly my look-alike crept up from her chair. She limped towards me. Eventually we were face to face. In this neighborhood, spawned from his mental landscape, she started, we've constructed everything Bryce has ever wanted. The cottage and car of his choosing. The tech office of his dreams just in reach. Convenience stores aplenty with clear roads to prevent accidents. And mansions and houses built from the same prose contained in his favorite novels. Of course, as with all great towns, contrast is required. So, we also sought to imbue this place with some of Bryce's greatest anxieties. Police officers, to start. What the hell is she talking about? Now, sure, some of the thought-form residents here might try to escape, 
in which case it's only fitting that their bodies end up as Bryce's did when he first departed. But the rest of them are free to live as they please. They can work, fall in love, do whatever they'd like, just as long as they follow the rules. No calls to the outside. No office chatter to theorycraft and conspire. No leaving. This town and its residents are born of Bryce's psyche. If things fragment and spill out into the outside world, the ritual will dissipate and this place will cease to exist. Hence, why rule breakers are strewn about the street as public warnings. What are you saying? And what about no photos? I asked, shell-shocked. Where the heck does that rule come from? The town planner grabbed the Polaroid of Bryce's dead body from the table and held it in front of me. My detest for photos appeared right after the stringer first gave me the picture of Bryce's body. Photos are cruel. Bryce's death should be struck from the record, and yet, by being the core of the incantation that birthed this town, this photo will never cease to exist. She tore up the photo. Immediately, there was a duplicate of it back on the table. You brought all of this to life with your beautiful brashness, she said. But now it's time for you to follow the rules and relish what you've built. Don't let your strong-headedness cheat you out of this. You should be enjoying your gift. I... I did this. Through the sheer horror, I had one last question for my doppelganger. Meredith Lane, did you pluck her out of Bryce's headspace too? My other half smiled. While Bryce's subconscious would surely loathe the person who stole his life away, her current state is my creation alone. Think of it as her punishment for taking him away from us. I looked down at Bryce's unconscious body on the floor. I couldn't let go, I said. And so, I brought him back into hell. I glared at the physical manifestation of my grief standing before me. Do you really think he's happy? With any of this? She gazed at me tenderly. I'm sure deep down he's happy to be alive again. By bringing him back, you gave life to so many others. To the residents here, you are the creator. You made this happen. The circle of strangers beamed smiles at me. Strangers who would kill me for breaking the rules of the town I brought to life with my selfishness. You're right, I started. I made this happen. I stood over a lit candle on the table. And so, it's up to me to fix things. After all, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, right? I tipped the candle to the floor. A fire spilled onto the rug and spread. Immediately I moved from windowsill to shelves to mantles, knocking candle after candle to the ground, igniting patches of fire around the room. The members closed in to stop me. I grabbed their discarded books and hurled them into the flames to speed up the spread. I picked up a final book from the floor, already partially burning, and threw it across the room into another section of the manor. The residents scattered in their desperate attempts to quell the growing blaze. Amidst the chaos, I spotted my twin. I snatched the Polaroid from the table and tackled her to the ground. She struggled against me. But you worked so hard for this, she said. I forced the camera into her hands, turning it to face her as the fires drew near. We 
worked so hard for this, she continued. I forced her finger onto the shutter button and held it down. The lens pointed directly at her. Click. The light flashed to illuminate my other half. She looked weary, tired, broken. I left her as the flame spread. I got up, sprinted to Bryce, and shook him until his eyes fluttered open. He was weak and barely conscious, but was able to get to his feet with my help. He leaned on me for support. We escaped to the exit, when I noticed there was something already there. A creature tapping at the front door from outside. The same silhouette from the night I'd first arrived and snapped that selfie. I opened the door. She's just down the hall, I said. The horrific entity strode past us and walked into the house. Slowly, Bryce and I descended the stairs and emerged onto the street. I held Bryce's hand as we walked down the middle of the road, stepping past the odd dead body in a stretcher. Are we getting close? I asked him. Yeah, almost there. He lifted his head to the sky. I kept noticing, he started, things from my past that shouldn't have been here. Random portraits of things I uniquely cared about. The faces of people from my past, stuff from books I'd read. I wish that I could have pieced it all together sooner. There's no way you could have known. We kept walking. So why did you bring me back? He asked. Clearly because I've been in love with you my entire life. I think I just really missed you. Sorry, bit of a dick move on my part. It's alright. I'm just excited to get some sleep now. We were closing in on the graveyard now. I could tell because the damage of his body was becoming more and more apparent. With each step he looked more unrecognizable. See, see you on, on the other. We're almost there, buddy. Sighed. I laid him in the grave that was marked with his name. He looked just like he did in that cursed photo. I looked at the grave beside his, marked with my name. One day, when it's time, I'll come back here. But for now, it was time to go. I had one more stop. Clearly, Bryce's demise had taken its toll on the town. There were fires everywhere, residents holding each other and crying, others standing like statues in the street devoid of breath. I walked through the sliding doors of the Parker Group building. I took the elevator up to the ninth floor, then walked the corridor down to Meredith's dungeon. When I entered, her keeper was already leaning against the wall, coughing up blood. He didn't notice me enter. He was probably busy keeping himself from fading away. Meredith, I said. She lifted her leg. She lifted her head. Is your leg broken? Y yeah. No, no, it's okay. You're safe with me. Is your leg broken? Maybe. Is there a piece of metal lodged in your chest? No, 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 there. Meredith, it's all right. You're not supposed to be here. You and I both know this. You were in an accident. She teared up. You didn't make it. No, no, I'm... Meredith, listen to me very closely. You've been dead for quite some time now, haven't you? She took a while to answer me. Finally, she smiled. Yes, she said, weakly. She collapsed from the chair to the floor, chains removed, dead as she was supposed to be. I made the long journey to the edge of the now-empty town. I entered an ambulance that had been parked near the forest and drove into the night. 
further and further until I was deep in the fog that had killed Matthias, Svetlana, and so many before it. The mist stretched long. But eventually, I was out, back on roads familiar. And with dense forests on either side of the road, I noticed something ahead in the distance. I steered closer and caught sight of Bryce walking by the side of the road. Or, well, the version of Bryce I'd encountered on my first night in town. The happy, smiling imposter Bryce who'd shown up at the house past midnight waiting outside the door. Stranger still was who he was holding in his arms. It was me. Or the town planner me. My grief-stricken half. As I took in the morbid sight of them walking in the glow of the moonlight, I realized this Bryce must have been the creation of a different ritual. Ah, yes. That other ritual. The one with the feather and the bowl of water, where I wanted to manifest a Bryce who would never ever leave my side. I guess he ended up rescuing my other half from the horrible fate that befell her. Yes, her body looked mangled beyond recognition, but I could tell she was still alive. Maybe, just maybe, they'd be good for each other. As the ambulance barreled past and I made my way home, I had to admit that it was a bit unfortunate that I was driving. Because I really would have liked to take a photo of them. <laughs>